You don't see how you could possibly go get another job because it would destroy your soul. But you also can't possibly see how to make this business work right now. But you're just going to sit and figure it out anyways. Like that's that's entrepreneurship. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm super excited to have a serial entrepreneur on the show today. We have Mayan Gordon, who has lots to share with us, and I'm super excited to have her on. She's traveling around the United States on a road tour and is location non-specific. So we're going to dive into what it's like to be an entrepreneur on the road and what her journey on running her own businesses has looked like. So welcome to the podcast, Mayan. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Okay, let's get going. So first, talk to us about your, your serial entrepreneur experience. What's your history with entrepreneurship? Yeah, so my history with entrepreneurship really came through my journey, just trying to figure out what makes me happy. Um, And even more than just, you know, what makes me happy, how to construct a life where I felt good about the whole of it, not just good about, you know, um, this one activity or this one component of my life, but how I could really feel great about the whole thing. Um, and I realized that, you know, going through the the school system and kind of the traditional structures of society were not fitting well with like my personality. We're not fitting well with, um, you know, the way in which my energy, you know, ebbed and flowed throughout the day just wasn't tailored to me and who I was at all. And entrepreneurship seemed like a really great way to kind of explore a lot of those things about myself and see what worked and what didn't work. So it really, for me, was um, just a much more flexible vehicle for self-discovery. Um, you know, I think college is, you know, often, uh, you know, tooted as a vehicle for self-discovery for young people, right? Like that's one of the major benefits to to go off to college is to like learn about yourself and connect with other young people and experiment. Um, and I found that it was actually for me very limited. And that was a lot just due to who I was at the time and not knowing what a lot a lot of the options were out there. Um, but entrepreneurship was something that really meshed well with how I thought about learning. Um, and so I just dove into it. I didn't know anything about business. I didn't even know how to file taxes properly the first year. And we got hit with like IRS penalties. So it's been uh, a long learning journey, but it's been incredibly worthwhile and rewarding. I love it. I love it. So there are a few things that I want to circle back on and, and touch on there. So you talked about character traits and like what what was in sync for you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And then also you spoke about energy and that the energy and the rhythm of your yourself wasn't syncing up to the traditional way of, you know, running one's life. And I speak a lot about energy management and tapping into 
one's energy and understanding that in order to create structures in your business so that you're you're lit up instead of feeling like there's a grind there. So so talk to me a little bit about what you think the character traits are of being an entrepreneur and then how you assess your own energy needs. Yeah, so I don't know if I have enough like wisdom or insight to generalize what the characteristics or character traits of entrepreneurs are. Um, in fact, I think a lot of the concepts we have, so entrepreneurship as a concept, business as a concept, that we kind of try and put a lot of different instances of it into one box. And it's really more like the idea of entrepreneurship can look like many, many different things to many different people. So for me, what it looked like was one uh schedule flexibility. Like that was a huge thing for me. And that kind of ties into the the energy question. Um, and honestly, it came just from the fact that I had like really, really painful periods and like period cramps in high school. And I, I couldn't fathom in my head how I was going to work through like that pain and had never heard anyone talk about like asking for work off for that. Right. Like talking about like your body was, is, was, and still is a very, very taboo thing in the workplace. And so I was like, well, the only solution is to not have a normal job because like, I I'm not going to be able to get through like the week that I have, have my, my period cramps and like not have major life consequences or like really struggle or feel stressed out or have all of these issues. Um, so the schedule flexibility was huge right off the bat. And I would say another thing is having like the freedom to try and fail at things. I think there's a lot more freedom to do that in entrepreneurship than in, again, like the classroom. You can only fail so many times before you get a bad grade and you have to retake the class or, you know, like you have these consequences to it. And with entrepreneurship, yes, there's consequences, but they aren't necessarily ones that set you back. They can be ones that, you know, set you up for um, something better kind of moving forward. Um, and, and they're really great opportunities to build like mental resilience and emotional resilience that I think are kind of like the foundation to survival and happiness in a, in a healthy way as, as a human being, like you have to be able to, you know, the goal shouldn't be to be happy all the time. It should be able to endure the really stressful, hard moments and get back to whatever happiness is to us. Yeah. And when I think about resilience, for entrepreneurs, they often take on a lot of risk. They often take on a lot of financial risk. They put a lot of their own personal time into their business and effort. And there is a huge amount of resilience that you have to learn. And there's a lot at stake. How have you approached the the financial stresses that come with being an entrepreneur and taking financial risks, investing in yourself, investing in your business and and you know, wondering if it's going to work. Right. And, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I look at it as fortunately, um, started from the, uh, bottom in terms of financial positioning. So me and my husband started our first business, um, after we were in a gas explosion, I dropped out with student loan debt. Um, we weren't making any money. So we were, completely broke, uh, living homeless in this RV from 1978 that like barely ran, uh, no air conditioning, no power, no running water. And we're emotionally in a, a 
not great place because we just been through like this major trauma. So luckily I had to make it work. There really wasn't like a, you know, another option. Um, and there was only one way to go, which was up, right? Like I wasn't, I didn't have the mindset if this doesn't work because where I was already wasn't working. So I just, I didn't even have that, that mentality, which I think was actually really useful when you're only focused on accomplishing something and you, you actually don't care what that something is, as long as it's more than what you have now, you know, making one step forward, then you really aren't focused on negative things. So it doesn't feel like negative things are happening. Like it's this really interesting dynamic when we were homeless that it was one of the worst times of our life from a, for example, a physically how we felt standpoint, because our we wouldn't eat for, you know, 48 hours, 72 hours at a time. So our stomachs would hurt. Like I feel like our stomach was kind of like eating itself and a lot of, you know, like horrible gas and just like really uncomfortable um, paired with like, we didn't have money for laundry. So we were wearing like the same clothes again and again, and we smelled bad, um, you know, paired with like our one of, we had two dogs at the time and one of them had a really sensitive stomach and we tried to buy him the less expensive dog food that he'd always been on. And he like diarrhea everywhere in the <laughs> RV. Right. So like all of these little things keep popping up. And even though all of that was physically uncomfortable, there was a lot of joy and freedom and happiness in that experience because we weren't tied to this, this framework. We weren't trapped in this box, um, which is, I feel like where almost all of human unhappiness comes from. It's just because we don't feel like we can fully express ourselves when we fully express ourselves, we're happy, even horrible times, right? Even uh, when we're going through really like hard, painful things, we can still have this incredible appreciation of life, this awe, this gratitude, all of these other things at the same time that we're experiencing this pain. Um, yeah. So that I experience that. set me up super well for like the rest of it, you know, percent. I think it's really interesting the approach that you took to this because there are a couple of things here. One, you said there's only one way to go, but that was your perspective. There are a lot of people who end up homeless and stay homeless or end up in poverty and stay in poverty. And you could think that that was the bottom, but they, and, and, you know, there's only one way to go, but not necessarily for, for many people, they aren't resilient. So there was something in you that, uh, aside from, you know, the, the circumstances you were in and the trauma and all of that, that created this experience, there was something in you that had the persistence and determination to move up and not accept what you had. And I think that's an important acknowledgement of, of you and your husband and, and even your two dogs. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the law of relativity says, you know, we make of it a situation based on what we're comparing it to. And, and, and there's a relative comparison there and you can make the situation as bad as you want or as good as you want. And without sugarcoating, what must've been a very trying experience, you, you had this perspective of, you know, th there's freedom here and, 
there's something that I enjoy and like and let that inform who I'm being. Was that natural to you or did you coach yourself up on that? So that's, you know, that's a question I think about a lot. Where did, because I do have this like crazy non, non-logical, um, you know, belief that is probably the strongest belief I have out of anything, but like stronger than my belief in like the fact that we're real and not like simulations or like, you know, like stronger almost than my belief that the world, you know, is round and not flat. Cause I've never been in space to see it, you know, to a hundred percent now, um, is that I can figure anything out that I can like make my way through something you know, where that came from, I have to probably, I would have to guess a lot of it came from my mom. Um, and she did it, I think in a number of ways that were totally like unconscious, but what she did in this, I've done a lot of uh, research on, you know, how do babies brains develop and how do babies, how does the human mind develop from a baby's brain? Right. Um, and what happens is we, as human beings, our superpower for like, how we've taken over the planet essentially is because of language. Um, and what language does is it allows us to share mental concepts. So a mental concept, for example, um, is something not physical, but we treat it as if it were a physical real thing. So the consequences of believing it's real are, are real. So, um, a business is an example. You can't physically point to the concept of business, right? Um, another thing, pets. The pet is a mental concept. I can point to a dog. I can point to a cat, but I can't point to this idea of a pet. And in fact, in some cultures, what we would think of as a pet is food or, you know, like various things. A lot of times our, our concepts are cultural. And so my mother gave me incredible, incredible concepts for navigating life. And one of those concepts she beat into me again and again was it could have been worse. Um, <laughs> In fact, there was this children's book we we had that we, I actually really loved and she would read again and again. Uh, or my father, my father would read to, to me as a kid every single night, like going to bed when he was home. And so, you know, there was this book where this character keeps having something bad happen on one page and on the next page it says, oh, and it could have been worse. And it keeps like getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and I think, you know, every single time I complained as a kid, my mom gave me that same kind of like the attitude was like, how dare you complain? You privileged, spoiled little girl, because your life is so wonderful. And you have, you have so many gifts that you were born with and you're privileged with that other people don't have. And, you know, may never have like, you need to focus on that. And I think it must've worked despite me trying to be stubborn and, you know, complain um, as much as I wanted to, was it must have sunk into me yeah. in such a profound way uh, that it How did, Yeah. How did your mother respond to you being homeless and in this uh, cha- very challenging state? I mean, not great. So we already were not on good terms. I had a really challenging um, four years of high school, but especially the last uh, two years, including. Um, I was smoking a lot of weed and my parents found out I uh, was shoplifting a lot and got caught. Um, so like all of these different, I was like slacking in school. Like I was just very, very miserable, I would say, um, in trying to figure out outlets for dispelling a lot of that like negative energy. Um, so 
and, and I felt like my parents were a big part of like the oppression, so to speak, which is right. That's super normal. That's how all teenagers feel is their parents are oppressing them um, and trying to control their lives and don't want them to be happy, even though parents, of course, want the opposite of that. Um, and so I just stopped talking to my parents really for, you know, I would call them maybe once every couple months while I was in college. Um, and then when I dropped out, it was, I dropped out and moved in with my boyfriend at the time. Now, now my husband, um, but at the time didn't look good, right? Like I dropped out of college, moved in with some boy I hadn't really told them about. Um, so it was just like, I didn't want to deal with it or explain or like, cause my mom is a very, um, she's, she's worked on a lot, but at the time, like a very judgmental person, like I would say classic Jewish mother, <laughs> very worried, very much like not judging me as a human being, but judging the decisions I was making very, very harshly. Um, and so I just wanted to stay away from that. I wanted some freedom. I wanted to like experiment and like live my life. Um, and so, you know, them finding out that we were in this gas explosion was a call, hey, your kid's in the hospital. So that wasn't very much fun for them. And then instead of asking them for help, I was like, I need to isolate and figure shit out myself. And I think that that hurt their feelings a lot because as a parent, you want your kids to like, feel like they can come to you. Um, and I definitely didn't feel that way. And it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't anyone's fault. It wasn't my parents' fault. It wasn't my fault. It's just the way that I saw things, um, you know, at when I was younger. Um, so it was, I think it was, it was hard for them to, to deal with that, but now we get along great. There's the the happiness (laughs) for any moms out there who are struggling. Like now we're, we're great friends and, you know, we really are able to support each other and we get to talk about, you know, like when I was growing up, what that was like for my mom and what that was like for me. Yeah. Um, So it's got a happy ending. (laughs) That's, that's great. I love that. I love that. Well, we have this in common, Mayan, which I, I don't know that, you know, I, in, in my forties left California, sold the house, sold the car, sold all the things and bought a sprinter van with uh, solar panels on it and traveled the country with my my husband and my big dog. And so we have that in common only only for seven months, but it was still a fun adventure. It's a long time on the road. And and I thought about it just now because when I told my mom this, she thought I was going to be she like I love her and she's (laughs) a worrier and she went down a rabbit hole instantaneously thinking that I was going to be homeless living in a van homeless under a bridge and um so that's why I asked you what did your how did your mother respond because I'm like oh that's fascinating that yeah so for for a while she she gave me tough love because there were a couple times when it got bad enough where like my husband was like, call your mom. Like your mom, your parents have like money. They could just send us some money and like, we could eat, get a shower or something. I was like, I don't want to do it. She's going to say no. And I'm just going to feel really bad afterwards. And, but it got to the point I was like, I'll call if there's any chance, like we could get some money right now. I'll call. And I'd call. And it was like, no, until you're ready to come home and like deal with all this shit, like we're not helping you. So my mom always gave me a lot of tough love. Um, and that must, for her have, again, she must have had some deep, deep belief in me as well, despite all of the, I'm worried that you're messing up your life. I think she, she secretly believed in me as much as I did. (laughs) Well, that's good. Mother's, mother's love, mother's faith. (laughs) 
Give us the short synopsis of how do you go from being homeless to starting businesses? Yeah. So it was really, I would say a combination of, um, learning how I, um, processed emotions and how those emotions drove my online behavior in combination with understanding what social media was and how it was growing and like in some of the technology behind it and what that technology could and couldn't do. Um, so, you know, first business got on Instagram, built a Instagram account for that business because the WordPress website we had couldn't load as many pictures as I wanted that quickly. And so I used the Instagram account as a portfolio for our website. That's more or less what it was. Um, but then as people started commenting, I saw, okay, this is a great like social proof. So like before, well, not before, but like Amazon's review section, I was like, oh, Instagram can function as like the review section where, you know, it's the product, the picture that I've posted and people are commenting and they're like, oh, I love these or those look so cool or I want them. Um, so then I was using it as, you know, social proof and as testimonial. Um, and then really from the product and business focus standpoint, then I started experimenting with like personal branding and, you know, adding story elements into my content, um, and saw, you know, a really, uh, positive response to, to that. And it was totally different. It wasn't just, Oh, I like this product, which was a lot more kind of like fleeting. It was, Oh my on, you're an interesting person. And I want to follow along on your journey. And I feel like I'm a part of your tribe now because we have shared values or we have shared experiences that we've been through. Um, and so as I was learning more about myself, I was able to test out new things online around how to connect with people. And that's just been the whole journey is how do I connect with people? Cause if you can make a, you know, a, a real connection with someone, then you've got a business and it doesn't matter if you're selling a product. It doesn't matter if you're selling a service. If you can make someone else feel like, um, you understand them and you care about them and have their best interest at heart, then they're going to be like, what do you got for me? You know, awesome person who wants to recommend things that I like. Right. So it's just, it, that's been the, the core of it infused with paying attention to technology. Um, cause the technology is really what gives us the opportunity, uh, to do a lot of things as business owners. And when you say technology, you're, you're speaking not just of social media, but the different apps that you use to facilitate your business. Yeah. All sorts of different things, right? So like if you're a retail, um, what's your point of sale system? Does it have a loyalty reward program attached to it that people can sign up for? Um, yeah, like what's your um, in-person checkout process like? Have you thought about how to make that a more uh, high-level experience or an experience that adds even more value by just tweaking a couple little things to that checkout experience, right? So, um, and that can come through technology, that can come through creativity, but but more often than not, like these days, technology can allow us to do a lot more creative things as business owners, both online and offline. Like, um, a piece of technology as an example is we used a, a spin the wheel in um, one of our businesses when we would go to trade shows. And technology doesn't mean, like, I think a lot of times when we say technology, we think digital technology, but technology is any tool, basically, that, that you might use. So a spinning wheel, that's, that's a technology that I implemented in my business, which sounds a lot more fancy than it really <laughs> is, right? Like, I had a prize wheel. Um, but 
thinking about how does technology, how are the tools that are available to business owners, how can those be implemented to make the experience more emotionally valuable to the customer? That has always been my focus because that's really how we judge value uh, more often than not. Let's talk about that a little bit more. That's really juicy. Emotionally valuable to the customer. I think that's a really powerful thing. I I too have the sort of, you have to connect with people. Money comes from source through people, through sales. And so getting to know people, understanding psychology, understanding people, helping people, that's what we're in the business of. And so you can't be afraid of getting to know people and understanding how how we make decisions and are, we make decisions in my to to me tell me if you agree emotionally and then we back it up with logic and so when you said how do we be more emotionally valuable to the person i think that's a really powerful frame on the not just humanity right not not just like being in this world with other human beings, but also within the context of, of business, that that's one of the most powerful things that you can provide for people. So how do you, how do you dissect that? How do you look at that when you're, when you're evaluating some marketing or some technology that you're, you're tweaking? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different, I try and look at it from every angle um, in every direction. Um, but I would say from, let's pick social media as, as an example. Um, so I look at what is the start, kind of like, a painting, this is an exercise you can do for any kind of process or business or, um, platform, but basically mapping out an emotional journey of the customer. So we've all heard of the hero's journey, which is, you know, mm-hmm. a, a story framework. Um, but people also have emotional journeys that, Um, when you start mapping them out, do become relatively predictable, um, but are incredibly powerful. And, you know, I loved what you said about we make decisions with emotion and then we try and justify with logic. I look at it slightly differently in that I see emotion as a form of logic. I think um, emotions Mm -hmm. and logic are the same thing. We just categorize them differently in, in our mind, but they are the same thing in our brain. Um, So there are a series of predictions about what is going to happen and how we should think or feel so that what happens makes sense in our, in our reality. So when it comes to that emotional journey in social media, as the example, where is someone starting emotionally when they open up an app? What am I feeling that makes me want to open up Instagram instead of Facebook, right? Because when we start with technology, we have choices, right? One of the things that's different than, you know, 100 or 200 years ago is the number of choices that are instantly at any of our fingertips. Um, And that's really changed the way people feel and the way that people make decisions. And one of those ways that they um, make decisions now more than previously, I would say, is using a lot of kind of like subconscious setup. So a lot of times we grab our phones without consciously say, thinking, I'm going to grab my phone, right? Probably more than 50% of our phone grabs are, are completely subconscious. Um, same thing with opening up apps. Like sometimes I'll be on, I'll grab my phone to like do something specific and my finger will just accidentally tap an app 
like that I'm used to tapping, right? Even though I'm like, no, 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 don't open up TikTok. It's not time for that now. But my brain was like, do it. Um, and so a lot of that conditioning comes from whatever we're feeling that we build a, a mechanism or a process or a behavior around. So understanding where does someone start emotionally and then what are they looking for? Because they're looking for something emotional more than they're looking for something um, intellectual. And we know that because if they were looking for something intellectual, okay, if they were looking for knowledge, they would go to Google. Google is our knowledge source. It is our, our library of information. Um, TikTok is a place where we want to feel uh, relatability and we want to feel laid back entertainment, like a more passive type of entertainment. Instagram, um, maybe we want to feel a little bit more scrutinizing, like we're a little bit more on the judgmental side of looking at and like going, ooh, that one looks really good. And no, 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 I don't like that one. Mm -hmm. um, so understanding like those different emotional aspects really help to understand what kinds of content are people going to connect with? And then on, let's say on the non-digital forefront, um, we go into, on this road trip, we go into tons of small businesses. Like every city we stop in, we visit a bunch of small businesses and we, you know, provide them with free consulting and coaching and just help in whatever way we can. Um, and something that's really common in retail for the store owner or whoever's working the, the um, front desk or, you know, the sales portion um, it can feel kind of awkward when people come in. And this is true for the customer as well, right? Like, have you guys ever been into a store and it feels a little awkward, like right when you walk in, um, you're not sure if you're supposed to say hi, um, cause the person working doesn't like make eye contact and greet you right away. Or sometimes if they do greet you right away, maybe now you feel a little pressured to like buy something. Like people have all sorts of different like anxieties around interaction, just around human interaction. Let's stop there. Not in even any context, like interacting with human beings is something very stressful for a lot of people. And that's really important to keep in mind, whether you're someone who it's stressful for you too, or you're someone who's really like extroverted and it's not stressful for you. If you can make your environments feel safer, um, people will open up in a way that allows you to connect with them to make them much, much, much better customers and provide them again with a much better emotional value, which is not just, Hey, I made you feel slightly happy, but Hey, I made you feel seen and acknowledged and safe. Like there's some emotions that are much more primarily important to us. Like they matter more than other emotions to us. And safety is number one. If we don't feel safe, it's hard for us to feel anything else positive. And so as a business owner, this all sounds like, you know, stuff that has nothing to do with business, but absolutely think about purchasing power, right? So if I feel Wait, safe, before you go, before you yeah. go into purchasing power, talk to me about how you create safety in mm -hmm. a retail store in that first moment, because I know exactly what you're talking about. There's like the awkward salesperson who walks up and says immediately, can I help you with anything? Can I help you find something? And their energy is wonky. And, and, you know, there's all of that stuff, right? Totally. Um, and, you know, or there's absenteeism and you're like, where is everyone? And do they care that I'm here? And right. There's this, it, it is a very interesting experience. So how does one evaluate that from a perspective of safety and do something different with it? 
Yeah. So um, I've learned a couple tricks um, and these all have the same kind of shared foundation, which is be brave first um, Mm -hmm. is I think the best way to create safety. And the way that I've done this um, and I do this at trade shows, I've done this in retail. This works anytime, uh, anytime you're meeting strangers, this works at networking parties, like anytime um, is to say something that is maybe a little bit more personal, either about yourself or is very genuine about the other person in, in the tone in which you say it does matter. Say it very lackadaisical. Um, cause that's a comfortable way to hear something that you're not sure if that's the right thing to say or not. So a lot of our fear, um, in social settings or around other people comes from, am I going to say the right thing? right? Like, am I going to feel bad about what I said? Am I going to say something and feel like, oh no, embarrassment or, oh crap, that was the wrong thing. Like we're, we're very worried about how our words are going to cause us to feel because that's the power of, of language. As we were just talking about the power of our words is that they can hold all of these emotional concepts tied to them. Um, so a great way, one of, one of the, the tricks I, I like to do, and I, I think about these as games. So anytime you can think about anything involving people as a game, one, you're going to change your mindset and energy to be more value additive because that's how you win games is you like score points, you add value, you put energy into something. Um, so a lot of times if I have to do something that feels like my, I'm resisting it, which means I have to put forth more energy and effort to kind of overcome that resistance, I'll create some mental framework. That's a, you know, a game because now like I've got that game energy, right? Like, you know, you guys know that energy when you're excited to play a game, that's like really useful form of energy that you can create for yourself anytime you want in your mind. So you got to remember you as a human being are a magician. Like we came up with the concept of magic because we actually can do it, which is really cool. Um, and so one of the games that I play is find the compliment. So when someone comes in, instead of saying, Hey, how's it going? Hey, how can I help you is actually a really stressful question because now people either go, no, leave me alone. No, thank you. But actually maybe I do want help later. Like it's a, it's not a good question to ask people. So if, when people come in, you greet them, Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's your day going? Um, or, you know, s- some other type of standard greeting so that they know you're like buying into our normal co- communication of how our, our culture works. and then. And it can take, you know, five, 10, 20 seconds. It can feel at first when you start doing this a little bit like an awkward silence, but just genuinely like look at the person and like in a, in a mindset of like, people are dope and like this person's awesome and something will like catch your eye. Like it might be a necklace they're wearing or like a pattern on their jeans or like whatever. And then say it out loud, be like, wow, say it as it happens. Wow. I really love your shoes. Those are so cool. Where'd you get them? Now you've taken them out of thinking about the social situation and they get to tell a story about something they care about. So anytime you can genuinely compliment someone, one, it'll feel effortless to you because you'll just be like, oh, what? like literally you'll be like, wow, I really mm-hmm. like whatever that is. And you just get to let that out and that'll feel great to you. It'll feel great to them because they weren't expecting to walk into a store and just like get complimented right away. Um, so now they've got a little bit of shock and happiness and now they get to talk about something they feel really comfortable talking about. So there's no fear of messing up what they say. So that's a really great way to do it. It's super fun. 
um, especially if you have a store like where people are coming in, play it for like a whole day and like categorize the answers and responses. And you'll, you'll start to see like so many interesting things about, you know, what makes people feel good or, or how they operate. Um, another trick that I use that works well with making people feel safe um, is the, so that was the kind of compliment game. The other one though, is to share something a little bit personal. Um, it has to make sense. Like, don't just blurt out, be like, when I was seven, I hurt my knee. Like, <laughs> but like, if they're looking at something in your store and you have some type of connection to that. So for example, uh, let's say you're in a boutique and there's like a little dog section and they're looking at that. You can be like, oh yeah, my French bulldog really loves that one one time. He and anytime you can infuse any story, even if it's really short, one time he chewed up my socks. Like now, again, now we're in a sharing element. I shared a story with you first. I said it in a way where like I'm not pressuring you to share anything back. And in fact, sometimes um not asking a question and just leaving space for someone else to say something if they want, not say something if they don't want to, um, is is a really kind of safety creating thing. So I'd say pay attention to tone because tone really, really has a huge impact on, um, you know, whether or not people feel safe. Ooh, one more really good one. And then I'll, I'll stop talking, um, is asking permission before you tell someone something. So instead of, um, like, let's say you see someone looking at some products that you sell in your store, um, instead of walking over and like talking to them about the products and saying, well, since Sometimes that happens to me in a store and I'm like, ah, now I have to lit. Like, I really didn't want to talk to you right now. Like, you know, like now I have to listen and like have a conversation with you. So instead of doing that, coming over and being like, oh, those are, that's a really great product. Do you mind if I share some info about it? Now, again, most people, I would never say no, because now they've asked and like, it just feels a little bit rude for me to say no, but because they asked and I said, yes. Now it, I feel differently about the information that I'm receiving. Um, and again, it's just because asking someone permission creates that sense of safety that, look, I'm not going to do something that upsets you or makes you feel a negative way um, before asking. And if it is going to make you feel a negative way, you have a chance to like let me know. So it's not just going to catch you by surprise. I think a lot of people are worried about surprises and they don't know what those surprises are. Yeah. The, the key takeaways that I see common in all three of those examples are the genuineness and the respect. And mm -hmm. I think those are, are, you know, good values to have, regardless of whether you're interacting with someone in your store or interacting with your, your friend or colleague, right? Like th these are, these are good values to have. And I think it's interesting what, what, makes that so difficult sometimes for people. I think there's, that's a whole conversation we could go down and, and dig into, but fundamentally, I think there's a, there's an expediency that causes challenges for people. Like I was thinking about how do you train, if you're the owner of the store and you're listening to Mayan, you're integrating this and you're like, oh, that's a really good idea. I can do that. I can do that. that I'm, I'm integrating that. How do you then train your team, train the people working for you, train the person who's um, new into retail, train the person who's maybe socially awkward in various ways. And 
and not have it just have lose the genuineness through that expediency. Because I know that I've been in stores where, because I, I understand marketing and sales and, and all of that, where I know that they've been trained to walk up to the table or tell the person who walks in the door, Hey, those are great shoes. Or I love your dress. And sometimes people do it. I'm like, I think that's genuine. And then there's other times where I'm like, okay, she's been trained to say this because this is what, you know, is done and it loses its impact. I, I suppose there are some people who don't pick up on the nuances, but I think most of us in some way, even if we're not conscious of it, understand when someone's being genuine and someone's BSing us. So, um, yeah, I think that's an interesting challenge for the business owner who's who's bringing their team on board to to help with with communicating this and not just have it be a, like here are the five you know things you need to do. Know what the answer is to that? So it's that the owner has to genuinely care about the employee's experience of what they're asking them to do. So here's how I would train this: is not have them, you know they're sitting with me and I'm telling them, here's how you do it. I would say, we're going to do this together. I'm going to go first. And then I'm going to ask you to like, follow up what I'm doing. And I'm going to be here the whole way. This is going to be about you. Yes. We're training to add value to the customer, but I want you to, I'm here watching this whole time. Cause I want to make sure this, this isn't just something we do for the customer. This is something we do for you, the employee to have the best experience possible. So then I do it once. I'd say, okay, next customer, your turn, you do it. And when the customer came in and then they do the thing, I wouldn't give them feedback about how they performed as my first thing. The first thing I would do is say, tell me what was that like for you? How did you feel while doing that? And if, again, if you make them feel safe and like they are first, they will go, you know, I didn't really feel, they'll tell you when they don't feel like they did it genuinely. Cause that doesn't yeah. feel good to do things that are like disingenuous. It's like a bad feeling for us. I um, love that Mayan, because that's going right back to the bringing emotional value, mm-hmm. right? This is not just emotional value to your clients or customers. This is emotional value to everybody that you're interacting with in your, you know, in your business in this case. But uh, you know, the, the application for this is far and wide because by all means, you could have the same approach when you're speaking to your husband or your wife or your That's kids. That's where I or- got most of these insights from is from like stuff I, I you know, wanted to work through in my marriage that like, to be honest, if it was just in my business, I wouldn't have felt motivated enough to go through like all the hard work to like find the right way to communicate where like mm-hmm. everyone's, you know, collaborative and happy. But luckily, you know, I love my husband very, very much and I'll go through through anything um, to, to build a happy relationship with him. And sometimes that means like sitting with a situation where you don't see how both sides are going to walk away happy and somehow figuring it out. Um, and I think that's a great analogy for business. That's what business is like and entrepreneurship is like, is like you don't see how you could possibly go get another job because it's like it would ruin, destroy your soul, but you also can't possibly see how to make this business business work right now, but you're just going to sit and figure it out anyways. Like that's, that's entrepreneurship. hundred percent, hundred percent. Is there anything you would like to share with our audience about 
freedom, travel, entrepreneurship, um, what you're doing in this world before uh, we wrap up and I ask my final questions? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, really paint a clear picture of like what it is you want your business to be doing for you. Like how does your business fit into your life? And when I say your life, I don't mean look at it from a third person perspective where you're like, there's my house, there's my car, there's my vacation time and, you know, uh, the Bahamas. Instead, look at your life from a, I'm waking up every day. And these are the things I'm doing on a daily basis where when I imagine that I'm like, that was such a good day. And that's the life you get to live. And then one, your business may or may not be necessary to achieve that. Um, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs, they start a business and they put, you know, everything into the business and they make the business everything when in reality, they probably have tons of other resources, um, like personal relationships that could help them build the life that they're looking for. So really look at, you know, what is the the day-to-day life you want to be living where you're going to be super happy? How is your business able to support that? And if there's something where your business, you know, it can make this amount of money, but it's taking away from that vision in this other aspect, you really need to look at that because a lot of entrepreneurs get to this point where they make a certain amount of money and they're miserable. And it's because they actually gave up the thing they really wanted to to build um, or, you know, they had to sacrifice something that they really weren't willing to sacrifice. Um, And so think about how can the business add to my life vision and don't think, oh, well, I have to sacrifice this to get this. If you're, if your business, if you're like, well, I have to take away in this aspect, find another solution for filling that need in your life. Keep your business focused on what your business is good at in terms of how it fits in with your life, because then you'll never self-sabotage it. And that's a very real thing too. If you build something, but you don't like the way that you build it, or it didn't feel good or it doesn't feel good to, you know, be in the tower that you built, you'll, you'll tear it down. Um, so make sure you're building it in a way that feels good to you. hundred percent, hundred percent. I love that. I love that. So before I, uh, ask my final questions, where can people find you? Yeah. So LinkedIn is the best place. If you want to like message and connect with me, um, you can just, you know, type in my name. It's pretty unique. Um, Instagram's another great place. It's my on Gordon media. So my first name, last name, then media, um, and TikTok. Uh, my TikTok account is touring America. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So what makes you an unstoppable woman? I think the power of decision. Um, it's just that I've decided to be an unstoppable woman. And, um, again, one of like the decision is one of those magic powers that like human beings have, um, where we can just decide and we actually, we don't need reasons. We don't need anything. We can just decide that something is true and it becomes, it becomes true. Um, you can decide that you're a kind person and just be a kind person. You can decide that you're a horrible person and be a whore, right? There's lots of uh, scenarios where both of those things have come true. Um, and so to be, you know, an unstoppable woman, I just, I just decided I was going to be. 
I love it. I love it. I speak a lot about the power of decision, that decision is one of the success principles that that uber successful people have is knowing how to trust themselves to make good decisions and being able to make quick decisions and not overthink and uh, use discernment. And the power of decision is incredible um, as a tool to for success and, and also for identity, which is how you're using it, which I I love. I love. So thank you so much, Mayan. This has been a great conversation. I know that uh, our listeners will eat up the tips and be able to translate it to their business and really start adding a lot more emotional value to all the steps in the, the journey with their their clients and, and the other people in their lives. So thank you for all of that. Much appreciated. Thank you so much.